From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. You're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident. That's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take. That's a clip from The Social Dilemma, a Netflix documentary that came out last year on the harmful effects of social media on society and how big tech companies are manipulating our attention spans and using our emotions, biases and behaviors to spread misinformation and fuel polarization. And here on, the film has already reached an estimated 100 million people. And now, in order to reach an even wider audience, it will be available on YouTube for free until the end of the month. In this podcast, my colleague Jairad Singh speaks with Randima Fernando, one of the driving forces behind the film, along with Tristan Harris. Randima, who was born in Sri Lanka, is co-founder at the Center for Human Technology in the United States, and he is a practicing Buddhist. He works at the intersection of technology, mindfulness, and social impact. And these are the topics he talks about today. So I, I want to begin with you know asking you that it's now been a year since the film came out. Yes. Um, yes. What has been the journey like since? Well, I, I'd say the impact has been really quite quite incredible, right? Because again, you can't plan to be in a situation where a hundred billion people see anything, you know, in this world, it's very hard to do that. And, you know, thanks to Netflix and the film team who built an amazing film, it happened. And I think, of course, a lot had to do with this resonance, right? So what happens as a result of that is you get hundreds of millions of people who are now pushing, right? When there is that pressure from citizens and consumers, so that has its uh, effect in a few different ways. So one is, I think the biggest one is that it affects policy, right? Because policymakers are basically like, they know that in the end they have to get the votes, right? So if the votes are there, it's pretty easy to get behind protecting children reducing fake news or these kind there's a few different things that people can all get behind right everyone agrees there is a lot of polarization social media accelerates it there are harms to kids that are very significant that social media accelerates mental health harms right uh, comparison all those are those are all now kind of common knowledge and that makes it easier for policymakers to then say okay we're going to work on a bill to address that it also makes it easier for technologists who you know concern technologists inside the companies and there are lots of them uh, who want to make change but sometimes they don't have leverage because and i think this is very important ultimately you have to look at the incentive structure and say okay well the business model is broken and the companies are fundamentally misaligned with what's good for society because that's where does the money come from right uh so now people are more aware of this right many more people world, worldwide are aware of how this system works where the incentives are how the advertising business model works uh right. and so then you start to get pressure right from consumers from policymakers from technologists inside companies and and you can start to make some changes 
but I would argue we still need a lot more people to understand it too. I asked Randima what kind of reactions the film got from the tech industry. If it gave more people the courage to speak about the unethical practices that are being done to hog people's attention span. Well, I think there are a lot of concerned people who agree. I mean, basically confirming like, yeah, this is how it is. I mean, it's a big fight if you're inside the companies and you're fighting to sort of change the system from the inside. But, you know, change can only happen up to certain levels because fundamentally when you when you get to the top and you say, look, we need the numbers to work, we have shareholders to report to, we have a board of directors to report to, it's difficult, right? The companies are always going to tend to stick to what's making lots of money and uh, and not make investments that reduce profits, right? That's So that's the battle that's going on on the inside. Um, but we have had a lot of confirmation and there are a lot of people inside who do want to get trained in, for example, like how can we do this better, right? They're definitely trying hard. But I think our main point is that the fundamental um, business model is broken. It's not just the business model, it's the whole content generation by users to fight for attention, that model. Even if you had a subscription, if that's how it works, you're going to have all these downstream effects, right? Like, I think one of the key things is humane technology has to treat our attention and our intentions as sacred. But actually, this generation of social media technology does the opposite, right? It just takes it as something to be sliced and sold. One of the criticisms of the film was that, you know, while you sort of accurately talk about the problems about social networks as far as privacy is concerned and, and our agency, um, it's sort of, it does not provide a sort of a, like a tangible solution is, is something. And especially right. so, because yeah. the film comes out in the middle of the pandemic uh, yes. at a time that we're all sort of forced to go back home. And the only way to be <laughs> right, right. is to communicate right. over screens and, and through the social media networks. So first thing is, this is not an anti-technology thing, right? Obviously, we're going to need technology. We're using technology right now. We're going to need technology to solve all of our big problems, right? Because the biggest problems we have are on the order of millions or billions of people. And the only thing we have to allow coordination at that level is technology, right? So we're going to need that. We can't, we can't have an attitude of, uh, you know, let's just throw away all the technology, but we do have to use it in a much more, like we have to build it more thoughtfully, but also the underlying financial systems have to keep it from running away, right? Because otherwise, if there's this profit maximization logic and infinite growth logic underneath every time, every time it's going to go crazy, right? So that, that's the first thing I want to mention. And then with this specific problem, um, there's a few different things, right? The, to me, the very, very first thing is as many people as possible need to understand how the system works, right? Because Good problem solving begins with good understanding. You have to understand the problem. And I think this is why, of course, we're having this conversation is I think there's a huge, huge moment 
with the film being free on YouTube, right? Like everyone can watch it. And of course, my mind goes to India, right? Because everyone I know in India, I have family in India. And I mean, everyone thought it was very powerful. But there are only, I think, about 5 million Netflix subscribers in India. So you see the problem, right? This is why, I mean, we really need your help, right? To, to get this message out. I think this is a huge opportunity because the leverage will change entirely. And then, you know, there's a difference between using even social media for communication, for video, you know, video chats, or even just chatting on Messenger. That is really different from entering the attention competing game, right? Where you're trying to produce content that competes with other content and everyone gets sucked into this, right? And then there's this information that we end up spreading. I think we run into big problems when we expect social media to tell us what's true or not, because we know that fake news travels six times faster. Right? There was an MIT study that showed fake news travels six times faster on Twitter than real news. And so we know fake news spreads faster. We know outrageous content spreads faster. Content that makes us angry or emotional, even in a positive way, spreads faster. The problem is most of that content is negative, right? So then you end up in this world that's like severely distorted. So leaving social media, like basically not expecting those kinds of things from social media, not expecting the news, not expecting it to make you happy, not expecting it to be the place where you share all your ideas. Like you're, you're much better off investing in a small number of friends that you keep in touch with in different ways than in trying to perform in front of a hundred friends or 500 friends and trying to win the attention game and trying to, you know, then you get, if you post on a, on a kind of a contentious topic, then you have the problem with comments, right. And fighting in comments. And it just, it drives everyone nuts, right. You can't have healthy conversations on these platforms. It's quite hard to rebuild, you know, to make big decisions, to kind of vaccinate an entire society, right. To get to, immunity, right? It's a very difficult thing to do when you can't agree on basic facts. So I think that's the most dangerous direction we're going is so where misinformation. Um, yeah, because then you can't solve anything, right? So meanwhile, so that's a big one. And then there's another really, I think a really big one you asked about neurological differences. And you can see one of the studies in the Ledger of Harms talks about uh, kids, very young kids, age two to five, like if, they, if their screen time is too high, and this isn't just social media, it's screen time in general. Um, their development is actually affected. And I mean, parents should be terrified by that, right? That's like the one thing you really don't want to mess up is your children's actual like neurological, like brain function. Um, anything that's getting close to that, you should consider to be poison, just like you would consider any food that harms your child's health to be, I mean, literally poison, right? So. That's a no-brainer, right? And then, then you get this other problem where kids uh, suddenly want to be influencers. Everyone wants to be influencer, right? That becomes one of the top things. And that's a dangerous model, right? Because you start to think of drawing attention as a fundamental good thing, as a thing that you need to do. And you know what? That's completely natural. If you grow up in a world of likes and comments and shares, 
as the fundamental unit, right? Children, children are very smart about this, right? They look around and they see how the world works and they say, oh, they don't need to be told. They just sort of figure out, right? This is kind of how physics works. This is kind of how social dynamics work. This is how you talk to people, right? They just model what they see around them. If they are in an environment where likes and comments and shares are the fundamental currency and they know how numbers work and they say, oh, look, this friend of mine, Emily, is getting so many likes on her post. And then they look and say, what is it that she's doing? Oh my gosh, those pictures from vacation. That's like delicious. That food looks delicious. I need to make mine look like that, right? If I want mine to be seen, because when I tried the other way, I don't get the likes. I don't get the shares, right? Nobody's, nobody's looking at my stuff. Then you look at who's being successful and you copy. So these are kind of the natural things, but I think that has huge effects on development, on values, right? So you've got parents trying to teach values, teachers trying to teach values. You have programs in schools that are trying to cultivate attention and empathy and all of these nice things, awareness. And then you have these products that are actively teaching you the opposite thing for many more hours in the day. Right? They're training your mind to slice attention constantly. So you, you can't pay attention for long periods of time. I asked Randima to elaborate how social media is impacting the minds of children. When everyone is stuck, especially your kids, stuck on these platforms, more than, more than we ever intended. Uh, many parents never wanted their kids to get on devices or social media, but they have now because of COVID, right? They, they ended up in situations they were not anticipating. When we are stuck on those platforms, it's more important than ever that we understand exactly how they work and what their incentives are. And that's why, like, I just want everyone to watch the film because it, it explains it, right? In a way that they get, once you understand the incentives, even for kids, I think it's much more powerful for them to understand the incentives than to be told Hey, like you've had too much screen time. You should get off your phone. Like it's time to leave. If you say, well, actually the way it makes money is from your brain, right? From influencing how your brain works, tapping into right your most fundamental instincts about social behavior and comparison and outrage and performing for others and being liked and manipulating all of those features. And that's true, you know, Snapchat does this, TikTok does this. I mean, they're, they're like notorious for this. Once they understand that, then it becomes much more of a rebellious act, right? Of saying, oh my gosh, like, no, you're not going to, you're not going to do this to me. I think that's what we want to tap into much more than parents just, you know, wagging their finger at kids, which we all know is not, is not going to be as effective. Sure. I also do see the, the addictive principles and you have sort of mentioned yeah. about how sort of YouTube will push other sort of views. But I want to know that there is something hopeful in, in your message because the way I see it is that it's like we're all smoking and we're all being told it's bad, but we're all sort of also hooked on to it. So does it really help to say that smoke less? No, I mean, it's part of a bigger set of solutions. But I mean, smoking is a great example, right? Um, at least here in the United States now, very few people smoke. Kids don't smoke anymore. 
Why? Because there was massive litigation, right? And and it sort of came out. The truth came out. Everyone figured out that, but it was sort of the companies knew there were a lot of harms going on, and it became very obvious. Then there was research about the health impacts, and that all came out. And then there was massive litigation and penalties, right, for the companies. So you can imagine that we have done this kind of thing before. Right? We have done it. There are short-term answers and there are long-term answers. And to get to the long-term, I think we have to get through some of the short-term. Education is the first part of it. Then we have to say, okay, we've got, you know, th there are some simple ideas, right? Even, even simple types of regulation that haven't been done, right? Like amplification, attenuation. So the idea of saying right now, the platforms, they compete to be the place where news breaks, right? They want to have that. They want to be the place where the biggest, you know, the new meme or the new news came out and then they get more users, right? And then when you get more users, you get stronger network effects. Everyone's on it. So everyone's got to be on it. And then it's hard to leave. So that's kind of part of the game. But imagine if amplification was much more attenuated. So you don't get this kind of giant spikes all the time, right? You're not engineering for that. You just get smaller peaks where it's sort of like in a room, right? Where you're in a party and you kind of want to figure out, these are the people I need to meet and it'll help you do that. But it won't exaggerate that to, to the extent that's happening right now. So you sort of get information that's interesting to you, but it doesn't, you know, there are like, I don't know, millions of kitten memes right now. We don't need one of them to be the winning one. We could have like a bunch of different ones, right? And same thing with other types of information or with your friends. You don't need to have one friend elevated as the, the most sensational, most entertaining one. And that's the one who dominates the feed, which is kind of what happens right now. So there are ways like that. You could imagine um, regulation where in proportion to the size of your platform, there are requirements about how many resources you allocate for fact-checking or protecting mental health. Right now, obviously, the number is off, right? If you make $30 billion and your profit is $10 billion, there is not enough investment happening. And what I would, I mean, we'd probably argue that if you actually spent enough to protect all the mental health, all the democracy, all the kids, you wouldn't have any profit at all, right? That's the truth. And that's what the companies probably know. Uh, and this is where regulation has to help to bring those invisible costs back into the, into the balance sheet of the companies. I want to ask you about yourself. Um, I know that about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, I read Pico Ayer, I think in the New York Times, talking about mindfulness, the idea of information and he could at that time feel that the information overload was happening a lot what yeah. was your journey like and you've been in tech and in the meditation and mindfulness space yes. when yes. did you um, start feeling the inkling of what what was happening around i think many people who practice mindfulness and have sort of are aware of how their mind is working and kind of watch what's going on I don't find it pleasant to scroll through a feed that keeps changing topics, right? So it's just like, here's a kitten. Oh my gosh, like COVID. And then, you know, political issues. And then my friend is like, oh, I had a great vacation. And then there's another kitten. And it's just like this really 
I don't think it's healthy for the mind because you can feel the slicing. You can feel the attention, right? You have these, ideally, I think humans are much happier when they have a coherent, smooth attention, right? That is like protected, well-protected and cultivated, and you're able to direct it where you want, and you're able to observe what you're doing as you're doing it, right? That's the healthy place. But here you get to a different thing where it's just being sliced. It's jumping from one topic to the next. And there are you know, notifications, phone is buzzing, right? So it's, it's definitely being sliced and you don't have a nice coherent attention. It's much harder to maintain. You can still do it, but it becomes harder and harder. I mean, just noticing all of these things. Right. Um, one thing I didn't realize for a long time, I mean, I think pretty early, I remember when Facebook first introduced the smileys, right? Like instead of just a like, you could put the smileys. I was like, oh gosh, like that's going to create even more. I remember that moment, right? That was a long time ago where I was like, oh, that's going to give them lots of information that they're going to mine. And it's going to create even more of these kind of strong emotive reactions to two things. The other thing that I, I noticed was definitely the competition for attention game, right? As a computer scientist, you sort of look at it and you say, ah, I see what's going on. And, and you realize that the attention economy is sort of, it's about, people estimate differently, but it's a multi-trillion dollar um, market, right? Something like five trillion, somewhere around there, right? Maybe maybe larger. That's a huge amount of money, right? And, 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 the, and then you realize it's not just the money, it's the stage that we all have to compete on. If you want to be, if you want to make change in the world right now, if you want to do it, you have to have attention. You have to have people's attention. So even to do good, you have to have that, right? Like we're talking right now, right? Because we've been like, like Center for Humane Technology and the Social Dilemma has been lucky, right? To get some of that attention. And of course, we are doing our best to make use of that, like use it wisely and do good. But I think that dynamic became also clearer and clearer to me. Uh, what was not clear to me, which is also interesting, I remember because I had met Tristan in uh, maybe 2015 or 2016. He was talking about kind of some of these bigger issues. What can you do to reduce your exposure? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't do anything about it. But with this, we can. And so I think you have to be very judicious about which aspects of these environments are actually useful. So like WhatsApp, um, you know, we have family WhatsApp. I think that's really important. It's connecting people in Japan and India and England and the US, right? Like that's beautiful. Nobody is saying, you know, that's a bad thing, but check your notifications. If you have your notifications on, it's going to wake you up at every hour of the day because everyone's in a different time zone. It's going to hijack your attention. So Check when, check once a day or check when, when you feel like it's the right time to check, turn off, right? Those are basic things to protect. Then there's the deeper stuff of, um, fear of missing out and, you know, these kind of network effects, because when you're, when you walk in the environment, it pulls you in further, right? So there is a bit of a challenge there. So a few things. One is to limit the number of environments, right? Like, really curate how you use the the different platforms uh you know on youtube just when you have something you need search for it find it and then leave but don't get stuck looking at the you know the home screen which is just all kinds of random stuff right that's not healthy 
Twitter, if you're following specific people, like related to your work, for example, that can be really useful because some of the best thoughts out there are on Twitter, right? There's no doubt about that. So that makes sense. But then don't get into the, the online fights on Twitter, right? Like, you know, you're not going to win those. You know, you can't, it's not the right environment to solve or debate. Private message might be better. Setting up a call might be better, right? So knowing what type of intervention to use, you know, what type of um, interaction you want to have. Makes sense. And then I think at the deeper level, which is like always my goal, is to try to look at where is your ego showing up? So this gets into the fear of missing out stuff and saying, ultimately, it's that that ego, right? That clinging is what causes all of our problems. So I saw your quote in your in your email, right? I mean, I think you're interested in these kinds of things. And that's where you run into all the problems, right? Like, so we have to be really careful about just being interested in saying, so where is that fear of missing out coming from? Like what's really driving underneath? And is that a desire to have like a stronger, bigger self that's out there? How often am I acting in service? Because when you act in service, right, there are two things that really help, I think, to um, protect against ego. You can apply them everywhere. One is, am I learning? And two is, am I in service? Maybe service first. Because if you're acting in service, right, if you're, if you're acting in service of something else, by definition, your ego is not the biggest thing in the room, right? So that's great. The second thing is, what am I learning? Because when you are learning things, then that means you're not holding on to some fixed version of yourself where you know all the answers. By definition, you don't. That's what you're learning. So I think if you have that kind of attitude, that's, it just drives you very differently from Am I winning the comparison contest? Am I missing out? And so then related to that is also what I said earlier about investing in a small number of friends and quality relationships. It's like, what is a good meal with friends? I mean, you have to remember from like two years ago, right? <laughs> but like, what is that like? For me, that's like six to eight people maximum not a hundred people, right? Like it's never a hundred people. Nobody, nobody thinks that their best interactions are with a hundred people, right? Or with trying to perform in front of 20 people or 40 people. So you have to know that about yourself, know the people who feed that, right? Who can feed quality relationships where you can share vulnerability and they're not going to jump on you in, a, in an unhealthy way. Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh, Joshua Thomas, and Gayatri Sridharan. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TUI Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at tuipodcasts at timesinternet.in.